be a neurologist because it's a brain disorder. Mm-hmm. We have psychiatrists in cases where the patient has maybe severe behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. We have the geriatrician because it's an old person who has other comorbidities or other health problems. Mm-hmm. We have occupational therapists and the physiotherapists. Those are the main actors when it comes to talking about the management. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast. Today, we will be continuing our conversation on Alzheimer's, dementia, and I have here with me again, Dr. Vivian Ngang, and I also have Dr. Leonard Ngarka, who is also a neurologist. And so we will be giving additional insight and perspective about Alzheimer's, dementia, and also information. Basically, this is meant to be like kind of an educational episode, which is kind of a sequel to the previous episode that we had talking about Dr. Vivian's mom and her experience taking care of her. Now we're going to give some additional information to our listeners to guide them and help them to identify all the signs and symptoms, for example, all the risk factors, and also take action, you know, as early as possible to help any family member or any loved one who may be experiencing this disease. So I want to welcome both of you to this platform as well. You guys are not new here. You've both been here before and spoken. So I really want to thank you guys for coming back to the platform to share your knowledge. So I'll start with you, Auntie Vivian. Can you introduce yourself again to our listeners? Good afternoon, everybody, wherever you find yourself in the world. But it's (laughs) afternoon here in Michigan. My name is Dr. Vivian Gang. I'm a clinical nurse practitioner. I work at the Veterans Hospital here in Michigan. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm a a wife. I think that's for now. That's what I will say. Awesome. Awesome. And what about you, doctor? Thank you very much, Anya, for this opportunity to meet and to share and to learn as well. Um, I'm Dr. Leonard Ngarka. I'm a neurologist. I work at the Yaoundé Central Hospital and as well a lecturer at the Faculty of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences of the University of Yaoundé 1. Thank you once again, Anya, for this invitation. And I'm looking forward to sharing the little that I know and to also learn much from Auntie Vivian and from you all. (laughs) Thank you so much. And just to let the listeners know, we're all from Cameroon, you know, and Dr. Ngaka said he teaches in the University of Yaoundé 1. And Yaoundé is just 
the capital city in Cameroon. So thank you guys again once more for coming. So let's just give a brief background about what we're talking about and also about the story or the experience that sparked our conversation, right? So Auntie Vivian, can you please just reiterate a few things about your story and your experience taking care of our lovely Mama Lucy? My mom... Mama Lucy, like you rightly said, she was diagnosed with dementia in 2019. We started seeing some signs, which I guess I was in denial, but there were really signs that, I mean, thinking behind, you know, I didn't like my kids. She will look at the wall and talk to a picture or just doing some funny stuff, forgetting things here and there. But I was thinking it's just natural for you to forget. And when you're yeah. getting older, but um. My kids will come sometimes and report up like, get away. I know my mom, she's a very smart, sharp woman, and I did not expect that. So one day, what made me just throw the towel on the ground, I said, oh, my God, was when I came back home, I saw the tables were all made with, you know, set up for like dinner. And I asked her, I said, Ma, who are you expecting here? She said, I'm expecting some doctors or some Medicare people. I'm like, who are they? So she showed me a picture. These are them. I'm like, oh my God, do you know this is a picture? She Now, one of their characteristics is that they try to hide it. And she would say, it's all right, it's okay. I said, no, ma, it's not okay. We got to go see the doctor. So when I took her to go see the doctor, they did the mini mental exam. She failed almost everything because I wasn't there. The doctor just said, leave me with her and I'll do what I, you know. So she failed mm -hmm. and the lady told me, you know what? We have to now start doing some neurological assessments on her. That she did the MRI, and you know she was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, and they put her on drugs. So that's when our struggle started. So you know started monitoring her. In the due course of of this, the process of this dementia, she became a little bit aggressive. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of it, she was very, very aggressive to us. I know why she was aggressive because it had gotten to a point where she could not remember to go use the bathroom mm. so she has to start using diapers and all of that so my mom being the very proud woman who she was I know in her mind she felt violated by us trying to clean her up change her so mm. she will fight with her last breath she will beat us up do anything she want to do to get her out but we have to do it because I keep telling her ma I'm your daughter I have to do this. I do this in the hospital for other people. I cannot leave you sitting in all of this. So it is through all of that, the challenges of going through with all of that. She got lost so many times. You know, sometimes she would just get out of the house. I come downstairs. I don't see her. That's how my day will start. I'll start looking for her all over the place. She went to Maryland to visit my cousin, got lost for like three days, picked her up, dropped her in the hospital. You know, so many challenges went through this process. And, um, while she started going down, because of that aggressiveness, they put her on a respital, which helped a little bit. But the aggressiveness became, you know, rampant and just, I tried to bring girls in my house to come help take care of her. But none of them will go past one week because she will beat these girls up. And they'll just call me from nowhere and say, you know what, I can't come back. Your mom is too aggressive. I say, I understand. So it was just like a struggle every day to deal with her issues. But it was a pleasure. And I take it like a pleasure or like um, an opportunity and an honor, you know, to have taken care of my mom. Nobody would have done that for me because some people oh, yeah. said, take her to the nursing home. I said, hell no. I tried it one time, like respite care where I was going for my niece's wedding. 
for yeah. like a week. So I put her in a respite care for a week. When I came back, what I saw, I mean, I didn't even let my mom sleep there an extra day because the treatment was horrible. She was, I felt like my mom is going to die of depression, loneliness yeah. and everything. So mm. I said, I might as well bring her home. So finally, my brothers and I, we decided to take her home not for her to go die. I didn't know she was going to die that quick after I took her home, but was to go visit family because her primary care had told me, take her to her old environment. She might be able to familiarize herself with family, friends, things that are around her that she knows better. I knew about that. So we had actually sent her home during that process for like a year. And then I had to bring her back because I needed my mom. I didn't want her to stay out there. So Mm -hmm. this process of us taking her home was just for her to go visit family and all of that. So I took her home in December. She was walking, talking. I mean, not she was still confused, but it was not close to death. Yeah. As gradually, that's why I added Dr. Nguafor. Thanks for him because he did so much. When he came and saw some of the medicines that mom was, he just discontinued a lot of them and said, you know what, at her age and all of that, we'll manage it without all this psychotic medication. So Right. Well, my mom gradually just, she didn't really have any health, other health issues, but her high blood pressure and, you know, but it's what it is. And um, the morning I was told, just got up one morning and the lady that was taking care of her with my aunt, she just called me that mom just collapsed on the chair. And by the time they got to the hospital, she passed. Wow. It's like every time you, you, you tell me about this story, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time all over again, you know, and I cannot tell you how sorry I am, you know, to just go through the series of events with you, especially because I knew her, I knew Mama Lucy, you know, so it, it, it hits different and I can only imagine what you're feeling you know, and going through. So I, I I really am so sorry about that. Now, I wouldn't have loved to use Mama Lucy as an example, but unfortunately, these are the circumstances, right? Okay. But using her story to educate our community, I feel like will be very impactful as well. So I just wanted to bring in Dr. Leonard. And so let's start from the get-go. What is Alzheimer's dementia? Oh, yeah. Ha. <sighs> Listening to your sad story, Madam Vivian, I'm really sorry. My apologies and my condolences for having gone through this. Yeah, I mean, Alzheimer's disease, it's a, it's a very difficult condition to accept. In fact, for anyone to, to, to hear that his relative suffers from that, it's very traumatizing, it's very difficult, and uh, they need a lot of support. And that's why I... I consider this this sharing very important because it helps to educate people to help either draw their awareness and also help them uh, see what measures they could put in place in order to um, prevent either themselves from developing Alzheimer's disease maybe in future or to help encourage those who already have loved ones who are suffering from that already. So starting from the word go, Alzheimer's disease is uh, is part of a group of disease they call them dementia. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about dementias as a whole, and then we'll get into Alzheimer's disease not long because they have yeah. very simple manifestations. Yeah. Dementia is a brain disease wherein or whereby, or it's a brain condition whereby we have loss of memory plus at least one other higher mental function, which could be either language, it could be reasoning, judgment, or recognition. All these lasting for more than a period of six months with the loss of autonomy. That means it's someone who loses his memory. And in addition to losing his memory, he loses one other higher mental function. It could be recognition. It could be altered behavioral pattern. He may be 
maybe just problems with recognition or, or judgment mm-hmm. added to that memory problem, which is severe enough to have an impact on the person's autonomy. That means a person can no longer take his bath by himself as he used to do. He cannot eat by himself. There are lots of things he used to do, which he cannot do by himself. If a person has all of these manifestations and they impact his autonomy, we can say that person has dementia. And there are different types of dementia. And Alzheimer's disease is the first and the most common type of dementia. Why? Because dementia, there are two main groups. I would like to categorize them. We have secondary and primary dementia. Mm -hmm. Secondary dementias are those dementias whereby we have other conditions have caused the memory problems. For example, somebody might have a stroke. And after the stroke, he has a dementia. That's a secondary dementia. And then we have primary dementia, which means there is no condition that has, there is no pathology. It's just the aging of the brain due to, accelerated aging of the brain due to deposition of some proteins, which causes the person to lose all those functions which he has lost so far. So, and in amongst the category of uh, primary dementia, Alzheimer's disease is the most common. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about the epidemiology of dementia. You know, yeah. according to WHO report of 2017, it is stated that there are about 55 million people worldwide living with dementia and about 5% in Africa. Mm-hmm. And the predictions show that by 2030, about 11% of Africans will have dementia. And when we talk about dementia, like I said, the most common is Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. That's to tell you how severe it is. And now, let me say one thing about the, the economic costs. It is said, health economics says that the cost, the economic burden of Alzheimer's disease is higher than a combination of the economic burden from cancers and cardiovascular disease. Wow. So you can imagine that the economic burden of dementia by exit, it doubles that of cancers. It is almost equal to a combination, a submission of that from cancers and cardiovascular disease. This is because, this is to tell us to what extent this condition is severe, not only on the individual's life, but also economically yeah. at the level of the family or at the level of the state. Yeah. And now, why is it predicted that the prevalence of Alzheimer's disease will be increasing in Africa over the years, more than you will have in Europe. Mm-hmm. It is because we've had a significant modification of our lifestyles in Africa, which predispose us to having dementia. That's true. Secondly, the other reason which accounts for this increase in Africa is because Africans now live longer than they used to live before. We know yeah. that in the past, we had many we had infections and many people died young. So yeah. they didn't live old enough to develop dementia. And okay. so with the aging of our population, with new therapies which have been brought in place to manage infections like HIV, people now live longer to develop this condition, yeah. which were most common, which were very prevalent amongst the old. Well, yeah. yeah. So now can we talk a little bit about the risk factors for dementia? Because mm-hmm. when I talk about dementia, it's the same like Alzheimer's and most of them fall in that category. The, yeah. risk, the main risk factor for dementia is age. That means older people have increased risk of, de- of developing uh, dementia. Mm-hmm. But now, does it mean that dementia is, 
is, uh, is, 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 is normal with aging? No, it's not normal aging. It is pathologic aging because a normal aging of the brain will not lead to, will not lead to dementia. So mm -hmm. if people by aging, they develop dementia, it is pathologic. If it is pathologic, therefore, what are those other things which contribute apart from age to, 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 to predispose people to developing dementia? And those are the other risk factors which I want to talk about, amongst which we have conditions like hypertension, diabetes, multiple head traumas. We have other chronic infections like HIV, syphilis, hepatitis C. And also we have uh, behavioral aspects, like it is said that people who have lower social or they have fewer social networks, they are at risk of developing dementia. We have depression, anxiety. All of them are risk yeah. factors of developing dementia. Even people who have low levels of education are at high risk of developing dementia. And what's the simple reason? Like I said, it's due to aging of the brain cells. And mm -hmm. now in the brain, we have connections that exist between the different brain cells. And so for somebody who is educated, we have increased connections that exist between their neurons, between their brain cells, such that if one cell dies, there are other routes through which the cells can communicate amongst themselves. But for people who are not too educated, they don't have many synapses in their brain. So when you lose one neuron, you don't have other routes of communication amongst the cells. So you have increased risk of developing dementia because of fewer synapses. I think that's just a few things about Alzheimer's disease or, or dementia as a whole. It's epidemiology and some aspects about the risk factors. Oh my God. Oh my I want to find, ask a question. Um, can you differentiate? I know there are different kinds of dementias. Can you, for the sake of the public, differentiate the different kinds? I know about Lew body, which is what my mom yeah, had. The bodies, yes. And there's um, vascular and another one. So just differentiate for the sake of the um, listeners. Yes, there are several ways to classify dementias. There are those which we call them treatable and non-treatable dementias. Treatable dementias, for example, are found in people who've consumed alcohol and they've had a complication which they call it guide vernicus encephalopathy, which is classified as a treatable type of dementia. The other types which we all know about, most of them are not uh, treatable. When you have them, it's a chronic condition which you just need to control. That's what classification based on its prognosis. The other classification is based on which part of the brain that is touched. We can have maybe cortical dementia, wherein the people with this are going to present more with behavioral problems, with more of behavioral problem, problems with language and uh, severe memory problems. That's the cortical type. So we have the person who mostly have aphasia, maybe a loss of speech, praxia, problems with coordination, we're using his hands and a memory problem. That's the first category, which touches just the cortex of the brain. We have the other part, which goes deeper in the brain and touches movements. We call them subcortical dementia, wherein the person has, in addition to that, you might have Parkinsonian signs. Right. That's like you spoke about tremors and Lewy body's dementia. Mm -hmm. Let me go back to the cortical type of dementia. The, the main type there is Alzheimer's disease. Apart from Alzheimer's disease as a, a cortical type of dementia, other ones are frontotemporal dementia. It's a type of Lewy, it's a type of, sorry, cortical dementia. Now for subcortical dementia, we have progressive supranuclear palsy and uh, Lewy body dementia. Those are 
subcortical types of dementia. And then we can have other classifications based on if it is infectious, if it is tumoral, if it is degenerative, and so on, if it is vascular, depending on the type of cause of the dementia. Yeah. And now, so when it comes to vascular dementia, which is now in people who've had a stroke, would either present as a cortical type of dementia, wherein the person will have memory problems, language, and uh, behavioral problems, or a person could have maybe cortical and subcortical. So it depends on which part of the brain the strokes have affected, yes. Right. I hope that I'm not technical and too medical. I hope so. I mean, I understand <laughs> but maybe a layman might not. Because yeah, for our audience. Yeah. 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 Well, they would have to replay it over and over if they really <laughs> want to break it down, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I feel like in a class, oh my God, like it reminds me of pharmacy school and I'm super grateful. Like, thank you so much for breaking that down. Like you couldn't have done it any better. Okay. Now, you know, some of the questions I'm going to ask, right, are going to be extremely, maybe sometimes some of the questions will probably sound stupid, but they're basically, I believe they're questions that sometimes people think about, you know, I'm literally trying to break them down to like the most basic form so that we can basically, so that people listening can understand. At least I have a certain level of knowledge, you know, from a healthcare perspective, but I'm not an expert, of course. So I would most likely be asking some questions, which are very, very basic. But before that now, let's streamline our point of focus today. We've had like a general overview, right? So we are focusing now. I mean, this would not necessarily be our only focus per se. Like if something comes up that's relating to other types of dementia, we can always address that. We probably will address like the Parkinsonian dementia down the road, but let's streamline our focus now, at least as of now to Mama Lucy's case, which was the Lewy body Alzheimer's dementia, right? So what are Lewy bodies? Yes, Lewy bodies are some proteins, which there are some proteins in the brain, which when they increase abnormally, they favor brain cells death. So if you have increased deposits of those proteins in the brain, they are going to cause death of some neurons. And usually that's why it causes the cortical and the subcortical type of dementia because it's going to be deposited around the subcortical part of the brain and then it continues spreading and spreading and goes right up to the cortex. So that's why she's going to start with initially with tremors because mm. tremors are found in the subcortical part around the basal game, around some part they call it the, the basal ganglia because they control movements. They help mm -hmm. to make things easy. And so as the deposition proceeds with time, it goes to the cortex and touches the part that controls memory, language, behavior, all of that. So all the other symptoms are going to install themselves progressively with time. Right, right. And are there any risk factors? Like, are there any causes of those, like the Lewy body growths, basically? Yes. All right. Permit me to switch a little bit, then sure. I'll come back. To sure, sure. Let's talk about Alzheimer's disease, since it's our focus. Because mm -hmm. Lewy body's dementia is a subtype of dementia. But let's talk mm -hmm. about Alzheimer's disease. With Alzheimer's disease, we don't have just the deposition of Lewy bodies. We have deposits of other proteins. They call them the tau proteins. Mm -hmm. These proteins, normally we have them in the cells. When they get phosphorylated, they prove these, these are actually proteins which normally help transportation of mm -hmm. nutrients inside the neuron. Mm -hmm. When these proteins get phosphorylated, they are not able to transport um, nutrients along the neuron, so the cells are going to die. So they're going to accumulate inside the cell and the cell mm -hmm. will die. Mm -hmm. And so in Alzheimer's disease, they start 
dying in the part of the brain, they call it the hippocampus, a part which controls memory. That's why the first symptoms of Alzheimer's disease is memory problems. And right. which type of memory problems? Memory from recent things. That means the things which the person just, just learned recently forgets them. Why does it touch mostly recent memory? Because for recent memory, the events are stored in the hippocampus. Meanwhile, for the other forms of memory, the other things which you learned several years ago, the networks that contain that information, they are more diffused in the brain. So that's why it's in the progression of the disease that the person can forget some old things that have happened. That's why in the initial phase, the person can remember his date of birth. He can remember where he's schooled, where he's met either his wife or where he's given birth to his children, but he cannot remember what he ate this morning. Mm-hmm. He cannot remember what he ate last night. So for recent events, you cannot retain them. So it's because of deposits of this protein which starts in the hippocampus and then it spreads to other parts of the brain. And so we have now distant memory events are lost with time. And so when it spreads now from a memory, that's why we have language is found in the cortical part. So it spreads from there. Person will lose speech. He's going to have behavioral issues. He's going to have problems with recognition. You have problems with reasoning and all of that because it has left from the hippocampus and has spread to other parts of the cortex. Okay. Thank you very much for explaining that. Now, let me answer your other question. Oh, I'm sorry for cutting you. What are the risk factors? Mm-hmm. Are the risk factors here? The risk factors of having this, the, this nerve destruction, we have um, hypertension is a major risk factor. We have, let's take the vascular risk factors. Mm-hmm. We have hypertension, we have diabetes, we have dyslipidemias. They are all yeah. major factors. Like high cholesterol. High cholesterol, yes. They are high. They are all risk factors of developing Alzheimer's disease. Apart from this, we have other elements that come from stress. We have free radicals that are produced during moments of stress, which come to favor neuronal death. That means destruction of, of the neurons. Mm-hmm. And stress can predispose, can, can, can favor nerve destruction that predispose people to developing Alzheimer's disease. Apart from that, we have... I've already spoken about aging. We have also multiple head traumas. Several injuries on the brain can cause that. Mm, And uh, those are the most common risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. It's true. There are some genes that have been described Mm -hmm. and uh, which can cause that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have some genetic components. And we have people in families where children have uh, Down syndrome. In some parts in Africa, it's called Mongol. But those are some, in those families, if you've had a child with Down syndrome, you have an increased risk of uh, having Alzheimer's. Yes, the risk is higher in that family. So people need to be screened for that. Wow. Thank you very much for that. You know, it's kind of like a little full circle moment because I remember when you started at the start of the episode, you'd mentioned that, you know, the percentage of people in Africa, it's the percentage that, that that suffer from or are expected to suffer from Alzheimer's. It's increasing because of a change in our lifestyle. And then now you're talking about all these risk factors, hypertension, diabetes, all these things that are becoming more prevalent in our communities, both and abroad, especially due to the digitalized nature of life. You know, we're not as active as we're supposed to be. It's more of like you know, just sitting in one position and not really exercising. Our diet is changing and all of that, you know, like lifestyle changes for the worse actually are happening even more commonly than otherwise. So 
it only makes sense that with this poor lifestyle choices, these diseases, like these metabolic diseases that in turn pose as a risk factor for Alzheimer's dementia. So thank you very much for sharing that. Now, I also want to revisit a timeline, right? Yes. Just to help people listening to identify, you know, the signs and symptoms of this disease. So what are like the first symptoms? I know you have said that in a big picture, but I want us to break it down according to timelines, right? Like, let's just say, what are the kind of symptoms that people should look out for first to even, well, not necessarily first, but what are the symptoms that could first identify or raise or ring a bell, raise an, uh, uh, you know, an awareness to, okay, like this may be Alzheimer's, this may be dementia, you know, before that, that could at least warrant them to seek medical advice. All right. Yes. The first thing, the first sign in Alzheimer's disease, like I said, is we have memory problems. When you realize, when you notice that you're beginning to forget more than you normally used to, it is mm-hmm. good use medical advice. Now, that's those are the first signs. It's memory, memory, memory. I mean, and that can last for almost 10 years. Now, when you go to meet the doctor, he was going to screen for other things which can cause you to lose memory, to have a memory lapses. We should remember that as we age, our memories are not as swift as they used to be several years ago. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that the moment you forget something, you, you panic and think it's as <laughs> when you feel that your forgetfulness is really becoming a worrisome. Even That's some things yeah. who are very precious to you, who are very precious to you, you begin to lose them. Okay, like for example, you have a precious watch. I don't know, maybe it was offered to you or yeah. you, you by someone maybe whom you cherish so much, he's giving you that what you've always guarded that thing, and suddenly you cannot remember where you kept it. Mm-hmm. I think something you need to be careful about. You need to go and see medical advice if 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 you come and you always put your coins i mean precious things either your either your jewelry or your wallet or your things and you forget them you cannot recognize where you've kept them meanwhile you used to in the past remember it so well if there is that change then there might be a problem but i want to make a disclaimer i'm not saying there are people who normally might not be very organized yeah <laughs> so they put their things <laughs> And they forget where they've kept it. That's not as a disease. Those are not signs of <laughs> In essence, school, they told us when they start forgetting to pay their bills, to, yes. you know, they just drive and forget to go to their houses straight, or they just get lost, or, you know, they just forget some basic stuff that they used to do. Those are some red flags yeah. that you have. Exactly. Exactly. I forgot your way to your house, you've forgotten how you used to sell food and even difficulties interpreting some things. I remember here, yeah, I think that those are red flags that something needs to be done. You know, for my mom's case, she was, I mean, I think I was in denial in the first place because she used, to, she will forget stuff. She will just accuse my kids, you guys have stolen my money. Oh yeah. And I keep telling oh. her my kids are not thieves. You know, my son will come and cry, mom, I didn't take it. I said, don't worry, I believe you because I was, I believe my kids, I raised them. So yeah. sometimes she will, when she finds the money, she will call me and say, I found, I said, then you have to apologize to them. But you know, our parents back home, yeah. so I want to call the grandkids and 
So it was constantly, I've left this year, I've left this year. Yeah. So what really caught my attention was when the kids started talking to me about, she was reading things on the wall and talking to herself. And my mom was, my mom, my mom loved reading. So I did not even see that coming because in my own lay mind, I used to think dementia will only take people that have their minds are sleeping. They don't mm-hmm. use their brains that much. But my mom was always on top of stuff. She would read every magazine that gets into this house. So I really didn't see all of that coming. It was when she started, exp- uh, 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 you know, exhibiting like, just like I said, she would just set a table up for people to come eat people that you don't even know who the people are coming from. And then she will just get up and just disappear. I can't find myself. So that was when I'm like, oh my God, this is... And um, Doc, it's very scary when you talked about we are heading towards 11% of Africans, uh, you know, that that figure, it's really, really scary. And honestly, I have a lot of friends, I could say a good amount of them whose mom, are, they're going through what I went through. Yeah. You know, it's scary. I have two of them that just lost their mom. I'm actually going to Atlanta this weekend for another one. But it's just to say it's getting rampant to our parents. I don't know. Yeah. And what people are asking me is, is it hereditary? Because honestly, I did not see anything coming because I know I never had a family member that had dementia. I've never had anybody that I could say, you know what? Because back at home, they'll feel like somebody that has dementia is a crazy person is mad. Yeah. You know, and then we now families hide it. They don't want to tell other people what they're going through. It's just that stigma. They feel like I don't want nobody to tap my mom like a crazy person and all of that. But right. that is not what it is. It's just trying to educate the public to let them know that, yeah, this is a disease. Pro- this is And it's progressing. It's not, it doesn't mm-hmm. get better. So yeah. as much as you might feel like, I don't care who says my mom was mad. I know my mom is who she was. And right. I for her being my mom, I will talk about her till tomorrow. I'm just giving all this peace because it is another way to tell somebody that, you know what, you are not alone. Somebody yes. has gone through this before. So yeah. don't feel like, I don't want to tell nobody. I just want to keep it as a family secret. No, it shouldn't be a family secret. Seek help. Look for help. You might not be medical help that will help treat that disease, but it will be help that will help you be able to know how to take care of this person. It is so challenging to take care. You have to have a heart to take care of these people, you know, and, and that's how some of them, they get maltreated, they get beaten up, they get, because some people just can't hold it in there. You know, my mom, sometimes she will beat me and look at her and say, if you know my mommy, I sure I will give you some slap too. But you know, that's my mom. I was raised to respect her and I will respect her till, you know, till whenever. It's just, I'm really scared. I don't know. So what do we tell the public now that we're heading towards this, this high number of dementia and what should the public know? Yeah. I mean, we, sorry if I'm interrupting, we're we're definitely going to talk about that like towards the end, because that will really be like a few action points that we're going to give the people, because this is a very, very important PSA. And like I I will say, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something, it's a silent killer that Mm -hmm. a lot of people deal with, you know, both the patients and even the family members, just because of the extreme stigma that surrounds it. You know, people don't want their family members to be looked upon as crazy. People want to protect the, not legacy, but just the the, the outlook of their family members. You know, like Mama Lucy was such a force to reckon with, you know, and 
I would not even want anybody looking at her and defining her based on Alzheimer's, you know, because that is definitely not who she was. She was a different, Alzheimer's changed her to a different person. And, you know, this is something that a lot of families are also struggling with. And it would be a great, you know, take home message, you know, at the end of of the episode. So uh, Auntie, thank you so much for sharing that and actually bringing up that question. We're just going to hold on to it towards the end. Now, after you know, the first thing to look for is like forgetting, right? And then after that, what does the disease progress to? And before that, actually, how long can that memory loss go on for before yeah. it progresses? What's a typical time? Okay. Thank you, Anyo. The time really varies, depends on the exposure of the patient. If the person in question still continues having some exposure, it might develop within five years or less into a full-blown or severe form of it. Mm -hmm. I would say that when you have just the memory problem, it is tapped as mild cognitive impairment, which is a pre-Alzheimer's state. Yeah. It could be even if things are well-managed, maybe the stressors taken care of, the person might take, say, 20 years or might not even develop might not even develop Alzheimer's disease. So that's where we need to intervene. I mean, when we have mild cognitive impairment, if measures are put in place at that level, you can significantly reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease during during the during the person's lifetime. Mm-hmm. But if nothing is done within five years or 10 years, it could evolve into the disease, depending to what extent, but like I said. Okay, averagely between five and 10 years, the person can develop full-blown symptoms from mild to even severe form of dementia. Mm -hmm. And just to add what Auntie Vivian said, it is really serious because sometimes when they start having these behavioral problems, remember when we were younger, they tapped them as witches. Yeah. And these things are very traumatizing and really stigmatizing and they help people to hide their patients all the more. Secondly, when people start having these memory problems, sometimes we, the carers, those of us who are around them, we are so impatient with them that we even frustrate them and frustrating and getting them depressed comes to even make worse their symptoms because depression is a comorbidity for dementia. That means that it's a condition which makes worse the symptoms of dementia, of Alzheimer's. Yeah. I've yeah. had patients with whom who had mild cognitive impairment, which was mostly because of depression. When we treated depression, their memory came back to normal and they were able to continue their usual activities. To say oh. that when, if somebody has this mild cognitive impairment, if you notice that we, sh- we should be tactful and treat them with respect and tactfully present uh, to them the need to see or to seek a medical advice. Don't make them feel that they are moving towards madness. Yeah. Or don't make feel that they are already so bad or you bore them. Even this small thing, you cannot remember. You are so impatient. Yeah, yeah. Don't, you... don't, don't do that. Because yeah. first of all, <laughs> aging is frustrating. Yeah. yeah. When you come to add the stress of the person's memory to it, it even just worsens everything. So we should be patient with them. If you notice that, Treat them with respect and say that no, I've realized that you have these issues. But I mean, I'm not saying that it's bad, but let's see, let's seek a medical advice. I think that is very helpful. And if the medical doctor accepts uh, screens and diagnoses pre-dementia state, they put measures in place, it can significantly reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease later on. But if yeah. you frustrate them now, you just worsen everything. 
So yeah. now when you, from this stage, five to 10 years, you can develop dementia. But if nothing is done, even less than five years, the person can move to full-blown dementia. Right. And then now after that, what are the next couple of symptoms that they could potentially experience if nothing is done? Yeah. Now, let me add to memory problems, depending on the person's level of education, sometimes they try to hide them. Yeah. Like what would Mama Lucy, if you, if she notices that she's forgotten something, she tries to, and, and you said, why did you put this here? And she cannot remember, she will frame up something to cover up. All right. So we should be quick to pick that up. And if they realize that they are going off, they always look for a way to turn around and ramble yeah. and mix it. Be very quick and swift to pick up some, some of those things. Because when you will go to screening, you realize that for people who are educated, they can play you with a millimeter scale and you will give them a high score. Meanwhile, they're actually unwell. Yeah. Now, from the memory problem, the other symptoms that could come in could be problem with judgment and orientation. That means the person cannot locate himself in time. Yeah, place and time. In and time, space, and person. He's not able to, it evolves into problems with recognition. He cannot recognize close ones. Okay, those are all signs that begin to add. They, which sign will add? There's no fixed chronology, but another, any of these signs can add a random. Yeah. Yes, all right. Then eventually we have Behavioral problems generally come late because the person gets frustrated so much and gets so agitated. And after that, he becomes really violent and agile. Those ones come a little later, but mostly you have a mem- we have a memory. After that, we have problems with judgment and mm-hmm. calculation. Mm-hmm. And then we have language problems, incoherent speech that comes in sometimes and mm-hmm. behavioral problems that come at the end. Yeah. Do they always have like motor related issues or is that closely related more to Parkinson's? Yeah, it's closely related to Parkinson's, but the the, the motor related problems that they will have will come from maybe very advanced form of the condition. Yeah. And when I say motors, just movement. Issues yeah, no, movement for those no, who don't understand. No, no, they won't have problems with movements generally. For us, MLCCs, no. The early okay. generally, okay. they don't have problems with movement. It's mostly cognitive. Okay, thank you. So now I know we briefly just brushed off of it, but before you made a statement, like, you know, you were given an example, like for when they forget, when they're not able to eat, for example. So when an Alzheimer's patient is not able to eat by themselves, right? Is it because they, and this question may sound stupid, but it's just something that, you know, I was thinking about. Is it because they forget that they have to lift up the spoon or they're just not able to lift up the spoon and eat? Yes, it's actually because there is, for, to coordinate the act of eating, there are some circuits in the brain which link and help that whole process to go through. Mm. So there's an interruption on that circuit. So the person cannot even, has forgotten how to eat. Mm. Person forgets how to eat because normally the brain will normally say, for you to eat, things have to move from point A to point B to point C, point D and E. So we have the nerves that took things from point B to point C have been interrupted. There may be those that have been destroyed. Those that take information from point D to point E have also been destroyed. So the whole thing is mixed up. The person cannot even coordinate the act. That means that's a conceptual coordination of that act. The person has lost it. Mm. So he doesn't even understand what it means to to eat. eat. What it takes to eat. So he has just, he's just there. Interesting. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you so much for that. Now, is there 
I mean, I know on TV, and you'd mentioned two of your friends' mothers that had it, you know, and I keep hearing mothers, mothers, mothers. I personally, when I was growing up, my granddad had, well, he had Parkinson's actually, and a little bit of dementia, but it wasn't as serious, you know, and I mean, he's of blessed memory right now, but that's not what killed him, you know, but that's like the only man I know that at least he had signs and symptoms of Parkinson's dementia. And now it just got me thinking, is there kind of like a, a group, like, you know, when it has to do with demographic, right? Like, is, is it more common in women versus men? And why is that so? Yeah, there's a lot of conflicting data on that. In some places, it is some literature will say it's more common in women. Mm-hmm. Why other say it's more common in men? But most of the literature say it's common in men. And the reason why it's common in men is because men manage stress less than women. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then two, it is said that possibly men are more exposed to more violent activities that predispose them to head injuries. So they have increased risk of uh, developing Alzheimer's. Like you will see mm. those that will go play football will football. be involved activities and all of that. All of those are micro trauma on the brain, which would destroy their neurons and could predispose them to developing Alzheimer's disease later on. But data on that is really still very conflicting. But the trend is towards Alzheimer's disease touching more men than it does. Mm-hmm. For- okay. Yeah. Thank you. Now let's, Auntie, before we go to therapy, is there anything you want to add or any questions you have? Let's go. I'll, I'll come up with one of Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Thank you both for speaking on, you know, all of that up until now. Now let's talk about therapy treatment. What treatments are available? I know when it has to do with that, depending on where in the world you live, you can have different therapies available, right? So it's probably going to be hard to identify, you know, like we have different names as well. When I say therapies, as in it could be the same chemical, but different names, you know? So what, uh, so, so I, I would probably want to talk about therapy in terms of like both, you know, just holistic therapy, like, you know, med- medications, lifestyle changes, you know, just the holistic picture about therapy and even also how caretakers should treat or handle the patients, you know? So, and that's something that I'll probably also want your input on it, Antika, because you've been a caretaker before. So let's talk about the therapy. What therapy is available and like, what is the protocol? All right. Okay. The management of Alzheimer's disease is complex and at the same time, it's easy. It's complex because there are many actors who come into play to manage them. And that is one of the major issues we have in sub-Saharan Africa. With the rising prevalence, I think its burden will even be higher in sub-Saharan Africa, where abroad in the Western world, the government has put in place systems to assist these people. But back home, people are completely taken care of by family finances and abroad, you have care homes and all of that, and even social workers that can assist. And we have very few of them in Cameroon. Most of the time, the family members are those who take care of people with Alzheimer's disease. So yeah. now, coming to it, the, the therapy, I will bring different actors. We have the neurologist because it's a brain disease. Mm-hmm. We have the psychiatrist in some cases, if the behavioral problems are really overboard. 
Mm-hmm. We have maybe the geriatrician because it's old, it's an old person. We have the occupational therapist and uh, I think an and physiotherapist. Those are the most common people or the main people who come in who come into place in each time we have to manage patients with Alzheimer's disease. So now the first part will be the non-pharmacological management. What does it involve? What does it entail? That means these people need to be supported. These people need to be encouraged. They need to be spoken to. But there are different actors who come into place when we have to manage patients with Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. We have the neurologist because it's a brain disorder. Mm-hmm. We have psychiatrists in cases where the patient has maybe severe behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. We have the geriatrician because it's an old person who has other comorbidities or other health problems. Mm-hmm. We have occupational therapists and the physiotherapists. Those are the main actors when it comes to talking about the management. So mm-hmm. getting into detail, we have pharmacological and non-pharmacological management. And um, we start with the non-pharmacological management, which is support and making the patient the person in question comfortable. That means we have to make a diagnosis. We see uh, the, 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 you help the person in the very early stages. When, when it's early, you can help uh, the patient involved in activities that can stimulate the brain, like yeah. sports. It's been proven that sporting activities improve cognition. Okay, playing a puzzle games, reading and trying to recount stories which you have read, all of those activities stimulate the brain and they help a patient with Alzheimer's disease. Now, if the patient has maybe aggressors, like uh, maybe smokes or he takes alcohol, you can ask the person to stop. Mm -hmm. Yes. But now all of that depends on the age of the patient. And this is, is, I personally prescribe, if the person is already old, say above 80 and is smoking, I usually don't tell the person to stop and that's mm-hmm. a some a physicians make you because if the person already has advanced form at that time, there's yeah. it's less stopping. All right. You just allow the person to continue what he's doing because, stop, because that is only source of pleasure. Yeah. If you stop an 85-year-old person from smoking, yeah, the person will die from depression. Yeah. That is yeah. Stress. Pleasure. So yeah. It's very it's tricky. If the person is younger, I will stop. We are going to stop smoking. I invite you to stop or reduce smoking, stop smoking, alcohol, and uh, other form of cognitive therapy, which is either playing a puzzle games. You can go and see a cognitive rehabilitation specialist who is going to yeah. do other exercises which help to stimulate the brain and get it active. Mm-hmm. And if there are other conditions like depression, you also have to counsel the person and, and also reassure him to make him know that he is not abandoned, that he is useful. Yeah. And then look for other activities which the person can still do with his incapacity. I'll give something I always see to some of my to, to, to some of my patients. Um, you will see, I might receive say a very wealthy man, say a minister, who comes with a mother who has Alzheimer's in the very early stages. And maybe because of aging, the, the woman cannot move. I say, you don't allow this mommy in front of the television for hours. What you can do, Monsieur le Ministre or Mr. Minister, you can decide to buy, say, Egusi. Because these people work by automatisms. They cannot do complex cognitive processes. Mm-hmm. So what you do is I can give you some more egusi that you crack. As you peel the egusi, either you can choose to sell. When you sell that, that egusi, you come and show that grandma, this is money we have made from selling the egusi which you crack. So the person feels reassured that he is more valued. Yeah. And so it helps boost up the person's morale 
And this is very helpful for cognition. You can decide to say, once you've sold that, grandma can keep the money inside her pocket. Tomorrow she can buy something for the children. You can give them a pocket allowance. Those are all small things which they do, which makes them feel relevant. And so it helps to boost significantly their cognition. But even when cracking the goosey, you can say, grandma, this is the food which has been cooked with the goosey which you cracked. Yeah. Or you could buy beans. I mean, there are different things which you can do to get them involved in yeah. powerful activities so that they feel involved and they feel that they are still relevant and still useful. Yeah. All of those exercises come to boost their cognitive activities, reassure them, and can slow down the progression of the condition. Now, coming to uh, non-pharmacologic to pharmacological means, which would be the use of drugs like the rivastic mean, which what yeah. does it do actually? It's because um, they call them anticholinergic drugs. It's true, they are not too effective, but it, what the mechanism of action is that they act in the synapses because in the, in the process of memorization, there is a substance called acetylcholine, which helps you to memorize, to, right. to, to build up your memory. So okay. when you give this drug, it helps to build memory. And so there are some other drugs which normally they are, it's case by case. Some countries accept and others refuse, which are, um, um, they call them uh, vitamins and um, how do they call those things? Are, most of them are vitamins and antioxidants. Uh, sorry, yeah. and antioxidants. And, and antioxidants. Some studies show that they are useful in, uh, in, in slowing down pro- progression of dementia. And we even had a study which we carried out in Cameroon. I think I'm... I'm second author on that paper, which says that rats, in fact, was this was done in rats, showed that rats which were exposed to radiations and had cognitive problems from that, when given beta cola, it helped improve their cognition. To say that it's possible that beta cola might, might have some properties, mostly due to its antioxidant effects, to reduce the slowdown, the, the progression of Alzheimer's disease. So those are a few things um, I can say about therapy. And now we can also have other specific therapies, non-specific therapies for their behavioral problem, which are um, the antipsychotics if the patient has right. agitation. Those are the most common things. Um, about while while I was doing um, research too for mom, they talked about natural um, coconut oil. Mm. So I used that to like put it in her food or just give her, eat it. Like when I do oatmeal in the morning, I put like a scoop in there and she will eat it. I heard it helps too. So it's just to throw it out there. Yeah, you're right. One thing I want to really emphasize on is that the non-pharmacological measures are capital. Yes, they, yes. If, there is, if there is something we must talk about, there are those measures, those little things to make them feel to make them feel honored. That's the key thing, make them feel honored. Yeah, the things that they used to do that they enjoyed doing when, when before they got into that. Very always good. try to put that around them like my mom yeah. she sang in the choir for 30 something years oh, i can yes. just clean her or put her in front of the tv and she will listen to those gospel music all day clapping her hands singing that's her best moment and then give them pictures like you said do like puzzles and all that like i made her a picture album of herself and her family she will go through those pictures every day, turning and looking, remembering the ones she could remember. I would talk about it, laugh and all of that. So those are some of the things that the puzzle thing, she really didn't like that too much. She didn't yeah. I bought her all kinds of puzzles, the big letter ones, but she really didn't like puzzle to do. Yeah. I, she, she didn't, you know, grow up doing it. So that was not part of what she liked to do. Exactly. So, yeah. 
Right. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much for sharing that. Now, I feel like one of the challenges and also based on, you know, what I heard you say, Auntie Vivian, with taking care of Alzheimer's patients, it's not only trying to make them feel valued, but actually handling them when they go out of character, for lack of a better word, like when they start getting really aggressive, when they wouldn't let you do what you're supposed to do to keep them healthy at least, or at least keep them comfortable, like changing their diapers and, and all of that. So how will you advise? I mean, and this goes to both of you because um, maybe Doc, you've seen a lot of instances as such, and then until you have experienced that, how would both of you advise our people on how to approach situations as such. For my own case, when I started with mom, like I have to go to work in the morning. What I do is I always want to give her a shower to, you know, clean her up. My husband will always make his her breakfast. And then I want to get that process through before I leave. So I usually like in the morning, like rush, they hit, they don't want to be rushed. Especially mm-hmm. my mom, if you go in there and just say, my get up, I get, I mean, that's when her day will be messed up. So what I do now is I'll get up early since she likes singing and we always usually sing. I'll go lay on her on her sometimes and I'll sing and we'll talk. How are you? How are these? And, you know, she, I'm fine. I'm all right. How are you? Where are you going? I say, Ma, can we just, you know, take it gradually. And if I, when I realized that that was what, honestly, we rush my mom, she will beat you up. She does not want to be rushed. So I, when I realized that I had to change my strategy, I'll go in there, talk with her in a nice way, try to bring up a conversation, something that she likes. And when she starts smiling, I'll just say, can you get up? Let's go to the bathroom. You know, just, we have to be patient. Sometimes I'll just call off work for two hours. I need to take care of my mom, you know, so I have that time because if I have to rush to make it to work yeah. at this time, yeah. So it, 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 that was my own way that it worked for me. I know my brothers, my mom lived with me all through. So my brothers will sometimes when I'm in a rush or I don't get to get her going, one of my brothers will come in and do it. For my other brother, Cromwell, Cromwell was a little, he didn't know how to do it. He learned how to do all of that on my mom, which I feel bad for my mom and for him because he is not in the medical field. He didn't know anything, but it gets to a point where if I can't do it, he has to come in and help. So he was always the target where mom will always beat on him and all that. But I had to now explain to him, like, you cannot rush her. You cannot tell her what to do because my mom was like she was like the baobab in my family. She was yeah, very authoritative. Very prominent, yeah. And she would hate now for you to start instructing her to tell her what to do, just to tell her, Mark, can you brush your teeth? No, I'm not brushing it. I said, okay, this is your toothbrush. You know, if you're ready, I'll wait here. If you're ready, you can then, you see, after when she washes her face now, she'll pick the toothbrush and it's just a gradual process until she got to the point where she couldn't even do it anymore. But I took her through that, that whole phase of her life until the point where I realized that if I let go, she will not even be able to brush her mouth because she will not let it. So I, I was just do i had family members that would come sometimes to relieve me of the pressures and so i could get some time off and all that but when they come i have to now tell them this is how this is her routine and you cannot change it it, because if you start tampering and then it got to a point where when my mom started really going down i just didn't want people to remember her for alzheimer's yes i took her away from the public eye I didn't want to even take her to church anymore. The pastor will come to the house and pray with her, you know, because 
what kills me right now, and every time I think of my mom, I cry, I ask myself, why did she have to die of this useless disease? Yeah. I really wanted to talk with my mom, ask her some things that I, you know, just, just born with my mom. I mean, she lived with me for 15 years, but yeah. I miss that piece, that three years. I felt like my mom died during that three years because the communication was not there. The things she was supposed, my kids now were about 15. They wanted to learn how to cook from her. She will start off a process of cooking just like Puff Puff. She she will say, I can't remember what to put anymore. So she was just forgetting stuff. And those are the things that they really didn't get to learn from her. So it was, it was really hard, but I kept it within me. I just don't want to complain about that. That's my mother. I have to take care of her no matter what. I don't care what who says or what, but you have to know their routine, put them on a routine. Now, when she, before she even started using the diaper stuff, it was when she was admitted in a hospital from a fall because she could remember, oh, I got to go. Then we'll take her to the bathroom. But when she gets to that hospital, you know, with the COVID and everything, they will not even allow us access. They'll just one person. So when she tells those girls, I want to pee, they'll like pee on your diaper, we'll clean you up. So my mom got so used to that diaper thing for three weeks. So when she got home, I am like, oh my God. I tried to retrain her every two hours. It was just not going. So that's how she ended up with the diaper thing. But it is what it is. We did what we yeah. could. And I think she died as much as, like you said, dog comes with a lot of depression. It's now in hindsight, I realized my mom was really depressed. Yes, she yeah. was really, really depressed. And I never, you know, you can deal with it in a clinical setting for other people. But when it comes to your loved yeah. one, there are certain things you start shielding. I never put her on any antidepressant. Like I'm still questioning myself. Why didn't I do that? Because when she was still thinking right a little bit, I told her when she started becoming aggressive, I said, man, let's go see a psychiatric. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. You think I'm crazy? That kind of stuff. I said, no, certain things you're just behaving funny now. I just did this just to evaluate you. I'm not putting you on any medications and all of that. So it was just a whole, you know, every day, every something comes up. But like I said, I think that, that I was, I'm in a medical field. My older brother is in a medical field. So we always come together and, you know, try to figure out, but until it becomes years, yes. you do not know the implications and intricacies yes. of all of that. Yeah. We can go out there in the clinic, they come and complain, you just write the medication and give them and call it a day, but you don't know their struggles back at home. Yeah. But this was like under me and I had to do the best I could. And I, sh I hope I did the best I could for my mom. You did. You did. Thank you so much. Doc, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, thank you, Auntie Vivian. Yeah, I would say that it's very difficult to manage them at home and more so in Africa, because like she said, managing those behavioral problems, there are, there are people, there are healthcare assistants who have been trained in the Western world to assist with that. Mm -hmm. But in Africa, no one is trained. We just discover, like we're talking about a parenting earlier on, we just discover that you have somebody with that and you need to figure out that. Mm -hmm. But now there are a few things which can therefore assist us in Africa who have not been trained to manage this. The first thing is we need, like Auntie Vivian said, we need to establish routines. First of all, when someone starts having memory problems, one way to get around that, to help minimize that, and is to help the person establish routines. That means you have places where you keep your phones. Everything should be well organized so that you can easily find yourself. You can situate yourself each time you're looking for something. That's very helpful. Such that the little part of the brain that is left, you can think about those things which cannot be planned. 
Like if you enter the house, you have just one place where you keep your car keys. You have just one place where you keep your socks. You have just one place where you keep your shoes. There is no other place. That helps them a lot such that they can spend the small part of the brain left for memory and cognition to think about other things which they cannot plan for. Mm. And so that transposing that into the management of agitations establish them routines. That means they have things which they do when they get up in the morning, make that state that once you establish those with them, they can easily comply. And then we should have at the back of our minds that the people we are currently relating with, these people who have always been autonomous, they have always, they are the ones who sponsored you. They are the ones who used to shout at you and they used to tell you, don't do this, don't do this. And so- yeah. Receiving all that from you yeah. is not a very easy thing. So, so we should learn to be patient with them and understand what's going on in their minds because the normal reflex will be to want to oppose any person who wants to give them orders. So we must learn to speak with them very calmly and politely. Even when they're making errors, you don't prove to them that they are wrong, but you still try how to flatter them and get them to do it right. in a very nice way. Right. If you do that often, they feel more reassured, they feel respected. Because the idea is they are trying to see if you, they still have that image of respect in your mind, which you had for them. Mm-hmm. They feel that you are booing at them because now they are sick. You are the one sponsoring them. It wasn't everything. So yeah. you learn to be patient with them. I mean, that's very difficult because you need a lot of time. Right. You have to cajole them, talk with them very calmly, prepare their minds for a long time for them to carry on the activities which they have to carry on. It needs a lot of preparation. It needs a lot of time. And the sad thing is in our world, we are very busy. So we need yeah. to create time to manage that. That will take time, but mm-hmm. I think it's possible. That is a loved one it is. Yeah, that's, you know, so much to take, you know, from this conversation. And, you know, I try to put myself in that situation and I just cannot comprehend, you know, how much it takes to even be in that kind of situation. So I just want to really thank you, Auntie Vivian, for, you know, for sharing your story because it gives a lot of perspective. It probably makes a lot of people cherish your parents even more while they're here you know and we thank god and maybe people who are even sick from other things they probably would thank god for what they're sick for because it could be worse you know it's not like being sick is a good thing anyways but and also thank you doc for giving us that scientific insight you know it was pretty very helpful now back to auntie vivian's previous question about you know this is such a nasty disease. This is such a disease that is a silent killer that's creeping in our community and it's only increasing in percentage. So what do we really tell our people about this? Doc, I'm directing it at you. All right. I think the prevalence is huge and it's increasing in our population. Therefore, we need, and this condition is a non-curable condition. Yeah. Therefore, the best thing to do is prevention. Prevention is key in this case. And what are the things which we should do to prevent? We should eat healthily. We should do sporting activities often. If we are sick of chronic conditions, make sure that we take our drugs well and ensure that we are well controlled and uh, avoid stress as much as possible. If we do all of this, we'll be contributing our own widow's might in combating this in our lives. And more so, we need to see people who are sick as sick people and that they do not buy the illness from the market. Therefore, we treat them with respect and not stigmatize them because anybody can be a victim of asthma disease. 
So let us treat uh, the sufferers with respect. Let's honor them, treat them with dignity, and let's put measures in place, like I stated earlier, right. so as to reduce the risk of us developing this. And if we also avoid stressing others, we are reducing their risk of developing. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a good one and very important as well. <laughs> yeah, we need we need to we need to, you know, try to not stress others and also avoid any stressors. So that's definitely a very good way to end this conversation. So I don't know, Auntie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, before we end, I had one friend that asked me for the sake of the public, um, asked me a question, is it hereditary? Just yeah. clear it out there for them, let them know that. Yeah. It's hereditary, most of them are acquired. We have just a very small number, less than 1% are hereditary. But no, it's mostly, most of them are acquired. Most of the cases. In my of case, when she asked if it was hereditary, I said, God forbid, please. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It cannot yeah. happen to me. Because right now, I get scared. When I just forget something, I mean, not the kind of forget that my mom will forget. But if I just forget something, I'm like, oh, God, please help yeah. me. I don't want to get. It's a PTSD. It puts, puts me on the edge now. I'm very cautious about it because seeing what my mom go th- went through, I will not even dream that for anybody that I even don't like. But I just pray that people that are handling it, that God will give them the grace to go through their own struggles, just like God gave me the grace to go through mine. It is not easy, but I know it's doable. I did it. And I know anybody that is going through it, just muscle yourself and know that, like the doctor said, don't define them by that disease. It's not what they looked for. It's something that they acquired acquired not in the sense that they went and bought it in the market but it's something that just happened to them yes and yes. it's just it's just their own i'll call it in our pigeon language it's just their own bad luck that they had that kind of disease and it's our own place as a family member a loved one to love them no matter what to take care of them they might be aggressive as much as my mom was aggressive every day i keep telling her i love you and i thank god for always putting that in her mind because the last words two days before my mom passed, even though she wasn't talking, she muscled herself one day when I was crying and talking with her on the phone. She said, I love you, baby. And I take that with me too. You know, I just say, you know what? It is what it is, but I know I did what I did like a daughter or we did what we did like your children and your family. We loved you no matter what. So she went and I think like this afternoon when I came back from church, I was talking with one of my friends. I was just crying in front of her. And she said, you know what, Aunt TV, you did everything a daughter could do for a mom. And you did not want to see your mom go through the way she was going through. That was not a life. As much as she has gone, you miss her physical presence, but she's all over this house. And for real, my mom is all over my house. And when I just be in that, I have been very depressed. I mean, that's my own dealing with it. Because when my mom died, I put in everything in there, trying to make sure she got the burial that she deserved and all of that. But when I came back, reality set in her. She's everywhere in my house, from my living room. Her room is still there. I've not even gone in there. So sometimes I just go to her bed and I cry. I miss my mom so much, but I think she's in a better place because if that's what she would be living through her Uh, life, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't a life. I'm not saying that if your loved one is in that situation, you pray for them to die until God's time is, it's not our time. And I think my mom went when it was her right time. So I know she's resting in peace and she went well. So 
Yes, yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate both of you. I know you're both are not new to the platform, so you had already given your information, your contact information. I'll have those in the show notes, but I really want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for having this very insightful conversation with me. I really want to urge the members of our community and all the listeners as well to take this conversations and having your circles. For those who don't have access to the podcast, you can share it with them and spark these conversations. You know, check on your loved ones. Maybe you've had loved ones that you're living with who have been showing symptoms and you've just been minimizing it. This is your chance for you to step up and try to do something about it. Have this conversation, spread the message within your circles. And, you know, I hope that we can keep the conversations rolling. So I just want to thank both of you for coming on here and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anya. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.